0: Tag. Willkommen, meine ganze Family. Good day. Welcome, all my family. This is an Obrey Project investigative video. This and subsequent videos will serve to complement the light that was thus far cast on the subject of Mormonism and Judaism through the writings and commentary on the writings of Lance Owens in Joseph Smith and Kabbalah, with the aim to peer behind the thick curtain of what has posed simplistically as merely the elaborate, wildly successful schemes of one audaciously charismatic man. A good portion of my aim has been to understand what Mormonism had to do with the mid-1800s military, including the Army Corps of Engineers, or ACE, with all their heavy Masonic symbolism, and with the soon-to-be-released video presentation of my Obreyproject.info articles, Article, Euphrates, A Problem of Geography, I found myself needing to extract all that I can from any helpful resource, which led me to W. Weil. Wilhelm von Weimittel will be the title of this installment on this day at 5.58 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, March 24th, 2019, I'm told. Now, before I begin, a few notes. One concerns Bob Walker. He goes by, at least on YouTube, that I know of, Chaplain Bob Walker. Uh, and I believe that is because he did or does function also as a chaplain. Now, what I want to say about Bob Walker <clears throat> is um, I, I've listened to Bob for uh, some time off and on, and what w- is surprising, very interesting to me, and this is this is probably why I, I I have consistently kept up with Bob over time, um, because it it certainly seems in in Bob's case a very organic thing that he has in a very similar time frame been awakened to certain truths that really can't be denied. Uh, they could if you wanted to be dishonest, but um, there's more and more people that wake up to these facts in the Bible. And about us, what's going on in our world. Um, a lot of it today gets blanketed under the uh, title of Christian identity. Um, the problem is, Christian identity is not singular in its belief system, okay? If if to just call something Christian identity was to say that, you know, um, the so-called white, you know, anglo saxon Germanics, celtic peoples have realized who we are, have realized that we were the tribes that had been lost for so long, that Eusho came to redeem, and that we are in these days uh, a fulfillment of much of these prophecies concerning the redemption Of Israel remember he came not but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and we would be called by a different name and we would corporately um, come to repentance uh, specifically uh, towards the end and um, all of the uh, which seems to to be a going to be a huge thing culminating in this um, Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine, um, and then afterward, uh, it's a little bit harder to interpret because that whole end section of Ezekiel is—it it all follows a form um, uh, chronologically. Um, anyways, off the subject, Bob Walker. So he told me, and we don't—we don't talk much. I mean, we. The most we talk is in comments, you know, and as I said, I, there are things that we, we, we disagree on, I, not least of which is um, the King James Bible. Um, he's for it. I'm, I'm not for it in ways. You could, you could take the King James Bible and, and read it, and using the language within it, if you understood all the language and the wording within it, you can extract a great, great deal of truth. That's a fact. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is so much that you cannot. There are, especially in the Old Testament, and I'm more aware of that because of my Obrey studies than anything else, there's problems. So anyways, I just think that what I've seen from him in in the time that I've been listening to him um, has been a guy who is, you know, like many of us, we're just we're trying I see a guy who's trying to be honest to be sincere to understand to do his best to help others understand that's that's it that's why I'm talking about this but it it leads into something else that's a important thing and it's it's gonna be it's gonna continue to be an important thing so He mentioned in a video that he did very recently, it's not very long, it's only a few minutes and it's an update video, that if anybody can, he leaves links below the video, can go to a site where he is hosted at. It is Mike Adams site. Um, And if I remember right, Mike Adams used to be with RBN, uh, same as Deanna Spingola and others, I think. if that's correct, I believe that his leaving was under, um, you know, uh, disagreements, I guess. And, you know, and I had listened to some Mike Adams shows on RBN. They're still out there floating around. Um, and some of them, I got to tell you, were really great shows. Um, and if I remember right, Mike was at that time at least leaning towards CI. Now, if he had anything to do with Eurofolk or not, I can't remember. I'm sorry. I I haven't followed him as well as others have. So, anybody who wants to clarify in the comments, uh, please do. Correct me. He, uh, So, what he's having to do, uh, and he posted, Mike Adams posted a video on there. It's about a 45-minute video, but he goes into a lot of meat of what's going on and why. So, this uh, alleged Christchurch shooting, um, they're trying to scrub all these videos, guys. Why? Why are they trying to scrub all these videos? And he said that he's in his sites come under all kinds of heat for having the videos. Um, The people who I've talked to who watched it, and, and here's the thing, <laughs> I haven't even watched it yet. Why? I... I'm sick of false flags and I'm sick of the whole genre of these people with their either false flags or hoaxes or, you know, Yahweh forbid real shootings. I'm sick of them. So, you know, I didn't get around to watching it when I heard about it. I got a lot on my plate but the people who have seen it have remarked some that it looked very suspicious, very CGI. Um, Bob commented on it, either in that video or in another video. He's watched it. Um, I have the manifesto of the shooter. A guy sent me it because one of... Uh my subscribers who friended me on Facebook had sent me a video that this guy did. And uh he 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 has the manifesto. It's supposed to be the shooter's manifesto that that they say is caused so much controversy and all of that. And I mean, we know what's going on. And um I guess the people of New Zealand are, are just taking it, huh? They're just letting them do what they want to do. The thing is, you know, and, and New Zealand apparently are not as well armed as people in the U.S., and and of course the U.S. is the real problem they have, and they're not they're not arming us as fast as they're just wanting to crank out as much propaganda as possible, because they need us to take care of their dirty, dirty business in the rest of the world. They need us as their mercenaries. They need our sons and daughters to bleed and die for their hegemony, you see. So, um, it looks like Adams has come under a lot of heat, and you can find out from this video why. So, he's putting pressure on a number of the people that are on his platform that, you know, you there's a certain amount of views that you have to get to keep a certain amount of material on his platform and you know what can I say I business is business right I mean I guess if you have a platform like I have a website and I gotta pay for it um am I what that website doesn't doesn't include podcasting so I'm I've gotta find the right place to to start a podcast at which I'm going to I looked at TalkShoe the other day and I just didn't know if that was the right platform Um, I still haven't completely checked out Anchor FM which I'm going to do. Um I'm looking. Uh I'm looking for somewhere that that you know will will host free and if not then we're going you know I'm going to have to pay for it. That's that's the way it's you know turned out. Now Bob told me in comments that um he has he he has been dismissed from uh Sermon Audio. He was getting his stuff uploaded there. Um not surprising to be dismissed from Sermon Audio when you consider you know just come on, we know what you get from sermon audio, and um he's i think he said he's submitted um many of his uh his videos or audios to another site that uh, told him they were incompatible, which I'm sure they are that's the thing um when you you know when you start coming around to certain truths that don't bode well with uh evangelical judeo-christianity, you know, you're you find yourself in, you know, different company. So if anybody will check that out, if you're not familiar with uh Bob Walker, he goes by Chaplain Bob Walker on YouTube, stop by his channel and um check it out and see he's got good stuff. I mean, you know, I can I can get past the, the KJV issue pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm pretty, pretty fluent about that. I have to use the KJV uh, constantly in all my papers because it's the, it's the simplest to line up with the Strong's referencing that I have to do you know, to get back to the Obrey. So, you know, for me it's nothing but anyways, so I'm, I'm talking about him because I I think he's a pretty organic guy. Um, I hope so and you know, I've been, been keeping up with him for a while. Uh the second thing uh, I wanted to, to tell you about for anybody who wants to uh, check it out because it's, it's definitely interesting a YouTube channel by the name of John Kelleher, K-E-L-L-E-H-E-R has done a video, well actually a number of videos on the personality known as Handsome Truth. In one of his recent videos he traces ht's family back to of all people john tanner who is basically uh an lds icon uh it's it's worth a watch uh check it out decide for yourselves what you think of the connections he brings up he has a a number of videos uh with various connections and you know there is there's a reason, there's a good reason why channels like John Kelleher's um and also um uh Truthseeker and who was also a Zionist Protocols uh channel have looked so deeply into the connections of the personality known as Handsome Truth. Um and uh, I'll <sighs> I would say you know see what they do and decide for yourselves because here's the thing Um, this personality and and others others like his personality and the GDL in general has taken a serious issue and that is the fact that there are many of us who rightfully need to be um, represented and defended against this nefarious hegemony that is seeking to hurt steal and destroy and kill us they have taken this profoundly deep and serious situation and turned it into a caricature and I have personally witnessed the fact that these 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 GDL uh, characters also uh, tend to go around uh, gang up on uh, and harass people and malign. and they're exhibiting the same kind of behaviors as basically uh, any group uh, founded by and and mostly manned by what 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 they call Hasbro trolls. Okay, so I'm not this is not me vouching, you know, for uh, whatever John Kelleher may may think or his opinions or anything. But watch his research. Okay, look at it. Make up your own mind. Um, And that brings me to um, Truth Seeker, also known as Zionist Protocols, before that channel went down. And he's gone through a number of Truth Seeker channels that would subsequently get taken down um we we've spoken a bit he's um he's he's done you know various topics of of some some pretty interesting research and when i first started checking out zionist protocols when that was still up um and then another one of his truth seeker channels he had some videos up where he was talking uh about some uh some some books or at least one in in particular at that time that he was reading concerning what they call the black death or bubonic plague um 1300s um, <laughs> there's uh there's a lot of very questionable information on it in the establishment's um, forms of communication okay and there is a great deal of controversy concerning this period in history and all the death, all of the loss of lives, and from whom, and in what way, and how it was, it was done. And uh, uh, a period in history that, that needs more light shed on it, in my opinion. Um, he'll be coming on. Uh, We've got it scheduled for a week from today. So Sunday, I believe, what, March has 31 days, right? Count on my knuckle, pinky, uh, ring finger. That's March, so it should be 31. Uh, So it should be Sunday the 31st at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, and I will be putting that on the live stream schedule as of today. And there shouldn't be any uh mess ups because I've now I've done enough live streaming through um Google Hangouts and I understand the way that it's best done and so we should everything should go off without a hitch and um you know after talking to him I think it's going to be really interesting and um uh, it may turn out to be a, a, at least a couple because it's it's a big subject there's a lot of junk out there on it but there's a lot of Of truth out there on it also to to be looked at and um, this uh, this is actually fortuitous because I've been wanting to I've been desiring for such a long time to speak with people and I I started out wanting to do it kinda heavily you know a lot more frequent and I had contacted so many uh, individuals Uh, mostly these were people who uh, they had written a few books, you know, or their name was really out there. And and it was during the time that I was transitioning, you know, from Pope bashing uh, to getting the bigger picture. Okay. Uh, So I I found I had such a hard time with a lot of these people that I was trying to just get on, you know, for uh, just a a little interview, a conversation, you know. good night you know if i if i kept the sabbath day you know they didn't they didn't want to have anything to do with me or if you know i i believed that you know the the theory of flat earth was a viable scientific theory that that should be uh discussed further in in a in a serious uh manner through through testing and and honest debate and stuff you know they didn't want to have anything to do with me or you know if i believed it was this or instead of that and i've it expressed on my channel they didn't want to have anything to do with me or it just it it got ridiculous it got ridiculous and I hung it up I just told everybody forget about it you know and then some of the people I had contacted I realized within a week or two because you know I'm, I'm learning all the time I realized, you know these people these can't be these guys can't be good guys and so I canceled with them um, what I'd like to do though like once a month on a Sunday maybe, I don't know, last Sunday of the month, something like that, I don't know, first, last, whenever it falls, every four weeks, about, schedule a live stream with, now not with somebody who has to be, you know, some great name and they did this, that, or the other, but if you have a topic that relates to topics that I discuss on this channel, so you know it doesn't have to be specifically about mormonism and judaism or you know that but you know i I cover a lot of different this is eclectic if you have either um written on it and i don't care if we're just talking about blogging on it or whatever or if you have read just a serious book on on a topic that you know and I'm, I'm willing to, you know, be pretty wide with these topics. I mean, the books that I read and discuss here, they're pretty wide-ranging, but they all have, you know, they're all spokes in a wheel. Contact me. I'll have uh, my general contact. You know what you can do? If you go to the Obri Project, I always have the Obri Project website page up. Always. Okay? Uh, the address. If you go to the address, go to the contact, and um, yeah, the website is still being uh, constructed. I've actually been been revising uh, the first few pages, trying to figure out how better to construct the uh, the resources page and stuff. But anyways, if you, you can go to the contact page, and uh, and there's a form on there, and there's also just the the straight address, you know, for the web, uh, the email. Send me an email. Just tell me what it is that you've You've read that would be a really excellent topic to discuss this book by, you know, whomever. Or, um, you know, if this is uh, something that you've been writing about or creating on that would be very pertinent, tell me about it. Because I'd really like to do that. And I don't need any highfalutin names or anything like that, you know, because I, I don't put a lot of stock into that. Regular people. Regular people. That's who get things done. You know, it's just regular people. And, um, you know, the regular people, the framework of history, real history. So, moving on, I would ask everybody, please, please pray for my wife. She hurt her sciatic nerve yesterday, and uh, it was chaos. And, you know, our little son, three and a half, Daddy's just getting over his third infusion of, uh, you know, uh, retux, chop, chemo, it's rough stuff, rough stuff, feeling rough today and yesterday. And, you know, she hurts her sciatica. It's extremely painful. These nerve, if, if any of you have done this nerve damage, it's so painful. It is. I've done it. I have injured my back in every way you possibly can, being a carpenter, lifelong, uh, and other things in every possible way and i know how painful it is and um and i wasn't as helpful yesterday as i could have been i wanted to be but in a lot of ways i was really power powerless you know to stop pain or or help uh which then i get frustrated and um i become uh, not very pleasant either and that doesn't help so pray for me too i'll be better husband and father um going to start out with a, a quick quote <clears throat> to remind us that there does exist light, and light wins. It is Luke sixteen fifteen through 70 from the World English Bible. show says, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. From that time, the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tiny stroke of a pen in the law to fail or fall. Now, on to Wilhelm von Weimittel. Now, uh, this taken, uh, translated from uh, reportagen.fandom.com, all in German. It was the only place I can find any information on this man. His uh, life, biography, anything is pretty much German sites in German language. They don't want anything coming to uh, the English world on W. Weil. Or Wilhelm von weimetal So, concerning his bi- uh, biography, it says as the son of a Viennese Hofrat, which I'm told that is basically a type of—they um, uh, say it basically like a type of a court counselor. They would call it. Um, yeah, maybe that's 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 the appropriate court counselor. Um, yeah, cause you gotta think, at this time, um, I mean, he was born in um, gosh. He was born in in eight, uh, eight ooh, eighteen. What? He died in eighteen ninety six. Was born then. He was sixty. Ooh, no, he wasn't. He was about fifty eight. So you figure. That would take him to, he was, you know, born in the eighteen thirties, forties. I can't believe it's, I can't see it. I'll see it probably as I go. But at that time, um, more of what we call today Germany, Austria, um, there were more independent republics, not even republics, um, kingdoms, kingdoms. So um, I don't think it would be all that odd for somebody to sort of hold that as a job, what they might call hofrat or um, a court counselor. Anyways, as the son of a Viennese hofrat, he received a varied education, began a law degree, which he graduated with a doctorate and then switched to art history. When his hopes for a conservatory position were not fulfilled, Weil went on world tours for two decades, several times as a reporter for major newspapers such as the Neue Freie Presse and the Neuzürcher Zeitung, for which he wrote under the pseudonym W. Weil. His reports on the Oberammergau Passion Play in the Berliner. Tagelblatt, which he later wrote in the writings Matage in Oberammergau became famous, an artistic pilgrimage, 1880, and the Christ Mare, new studies from Oberammergau, summarized. From his experiences in Italy, he reports on walks in Naples, Sorrento, Pompeii, Capri, Amalfi, Pastum, and in the Museo Borbonico from 1877, the Venetian stories and figures of the 16th century. In 1882 he went to North America and wrote articles for the German Monday bullet on the Mormons. In 1891 he attended the World's Fair in Chicago as a correspondent for the Kolnitsch Zeitung. In 1895 he retired to Munich for illness where he died on the 4th of January, 1896. Among his books listed in English are Joseph Smith, the Prophet, His Family and Friends, a study based on facts and documents from Tribune Publishing, Printing and Publishing Company, Salt Lake City, 1886, and Mormon Portraits or The Truth About the Mormon Leaders from 1830 to 1866, Tribune Printing and Publishing Company Salt Lake City 1886 and an article which I will begin with Which is Dr. Weil and William Law a deeply interesting talk on Old Nauvoo Days Astounding Revelations of Darkness now Proceeding that I am going to tell you this straightforward. I have no idea Because of of how little I was able to find on Wilhelm, Um, all of his connections, his beliefs, not a lot, okay? Don't know. Don't know where he's coming from. Don't know what ulterior motives there might be. Don't know these things. I know a little... About concerning the time that he came to America and Salt Lake Um, it seems that he was in America for a little while a few years around that time and he had just basically gone to um, certain people who he vetted um, now this is all coming from his book uh, Mormon portraits Joseph Smith um, which I have and the version I have is not a PDF with text so it's so hard to try to copy paste from that book to try to put together um, presentations from it I decided that after this interview um, I'll hit that book there's so much to learn from it now from what I've read so far in the book there probably are things that i i don't know maybe he could have discussed and didn't but the thing was again he's doing something that yes a lot of people have done and i think far too many people have done which is uh the focus on joseph smith however don't let the title deceive you um The material that he discusses in this is not only fascinating, um, but it is going to lead us to, I think, a lot of points where we want to get. And so in that way, it is extraordinarily valuable. Um, and, And that's what we'll do, is as we go through these things, when we hit these topics... Um, leading us to deeper and more enlightening places. Um, We'll pursue those things and, well, I'm not going to say build a case for, but we're going to see what emerges and what we can build a case for based on all of the, the factual, Um, information that can be gathered, um, everything that can be presented as deductive arguments, and uh, include anything that certainly seems like a strong inductive argument. So, that is the point of where I'm going in this series from here, although I I do have a new schedule uh, laid out for myself which is going to allow for varying uh, types of material to be released as we go without forgetting anything um, because I'm always in the middle of many things and I have to keep a leash on or else uh, oh I just get I get distracted so there is an introduction uh, to this interview <clears throat> the interview is at uh, William For the introduction, it says, William Law joined the LDS Church in 1836 and and received the Melchizedek priesthood in 1837. He was quite active in church matters and served two missions. In 1841, he was called by, in quotes, Revelation, to be Joseph Smith's second counselor. And in 1842, he would arrive in Nauvoo, Illinois, to become a successful businessman. Though at one time a faithful member, Law soon had his disagreements with Smith. He felt that many of Smith's new teachings had corrupted the church and strongly rejected the doctrine of a plurality of wives and a plurality of gods. He was released from his position in the first presidency in January of 1844 and excommunicated in April of that same year. This, however, did not silence Mr. Law's complaints. In June 1844, Law joined six other dissidents and published the Nauvoo Expositor, a newspaper that listed several objections regarding Joseph Smith's teachings and ecclesiastical control over civil and business affairs, in quotes. It is believed by many that the Nauvoo expositor greased the wheels to Smith's eventual demise. We offer, for your perusal, an interview with William Law that was printed in the Salt Lake Tribune. While we are certain that many Mormons reading the following will see nothing more than the words of a disgruntled man, his close relationship to Joseph Smith does offer some interesting historical insight now let's hold that point just for a moment and I want to uh, point out a few things first off the sentence in in which it says it is believed by many that the Nauvoo Expositor greased the wheels to Smith's eventual demise and if you listen to what uh, many ex-Mormon historians have to say about the way that Smith eventually did meet his demise in the Carthage Jail, and what led up to it. The Nauvoo Expositor, in the first article that it printed, headed up by William Law, and six others. Um, and then the reprisal to it definitely was the spark, folks. It that doesn't seem to be all that arguable. What is interesting about the whole situation is that first off Law. His name, Law. Now as I've been going through a lot of these older documents, older books, specifically by Weil, um, I have been taking many of the names and have been running them through um, an extensive collection that I have managed to find online, of um, Jewish genealogy searches. One of which is the uh, AmericanJewishArchives.org. And when you punch law into it, you get many uh, uh, results. Uh, Not least of which would be, for instance, Elizabeth Taylor. Law, Uh, 1848, Uh, interesting combination of names, Taylor and Law, if you know who the third president of the Mormon church was, and two William Laws, one 1849, one 1846, and then of course a Goodwin Law, Uh, again many women keeping their, and a Josephine Goodwin Law, Uh, up at the top two that name Goodwin comes up frequently as well now Goodwin would stand out a lot more something that needs to be taken into consideration Uh, in the early to mid 1800s in America names like let's just say Law, Jones, Smith and others would not have seemed at all jewish however these days now that there's so many jewish ancestry searches um these people who obviously had a different name back in europe and often changed their name when they came to america because at this time in America, there were still many people who were uh, very understanding of what had been going on back in Europe, uh, various revolutions, counterculture movements, and of course the uh, the constant um, relationship of using uh, non-Jewish peoples, by Jews, Uh, was well known and so it's interesting that a lot of these names at the time would not have seemed Jewish but today with all these genealogical searches we see just how many are listed as Jewish one of which is law now bringing that back to the fact that he financed because by this time he was pretty darn well-to-do. And, wouldn't you know it, he gets involved around the Kirtland period, and there's some funny things going on in the Kirtland period, specifically with a bank that was started uh, over real estate, and them getting finances for all of this back east. Back east. How? Don't know yet. So Law, one of his top advisors now he has a change of heart and uh, as he said ecclesiastical control over civil and business affairs oh my goodness and so starts this newspaper and I mean in broad daylight it's um, it almost seems so it seems to me like a challenge that cannot go unanswered it seemed like the intentional spark why? This is all theoretical. Okay, but some theories are worth following, some aren't. Why? Smith was a runaway train. Smith was a runaway train. <clears throat> he was a liability. By this point in time, Smith was a liability. And these folks who I believe have been behind Smith from the start, from before the start, um, and have been supporting and financing the movements since, um, they've known for a long time the best ways to get certain things done so that they are regarded in a certain way by most people who would look at them Uh, just in passing from the outside so that you can you can write a history like this these these men who had a change of heart had become devout and then that clears their name too. you see right at about the time when it you know the decision is made that um, he's a problem and um, he's got to go he's become too much of a liability for too long uh then the wheels get put in motion and these kinds of things happen come on folks have we not seen this what you do is you know not you but uh, what they do they use the press and in this way the press was used (laughs) like a cannon so that's just something to think about okay so it goes on it says the interview was uh for the daily tribune salt lake city sunday morning july 31st 1887 now the law interview okay so another thing to consider is um ah just some of the things he says and how he managed to escape some things is definitely They are definitely issues to uh, keep in the back of your head. All right. Now, elsewhere in this impression, will be seen an interview between William Law and Doctor Weil. Of course, the Tribune cannot vouch for the truth of the statements of Mr. Law, but he was for a long time first counselor to Joseph Smith. He was better loved than almost any other man by the Mormons. It seems he is now. reverenced by his neighbors as one of the most lovable of men. He broke with the Smiths when he found what a measureless and wicked fraud he had become involved in. (laughs) He started a newspaper in Nauvoo to expose that fraud, but it, with the office, was destroyed by a mob shortly after the first edition was printed. Men here whose honesty no one doubts vouch for the perfect truthfulness and superior abilities of the man the career of Joseph Smith as portrayed in this interview is something fearful when we consider that he pretended to be an Oracle of God but it was practically repeated in this valley how a delusion of so awful can continue to hold in thrall the minds of men in other ways sensible is one of the marvels of this age A creed founded on fraud and enforced by assassination here in this free country is most strange. That any pure woman was ever persuaded to accept its cruelties is only accountable on the theory that some women delight in sacrifice if thereby they imagine that they are serving God. How any government, with all the accumulating proof, can still regard this as a religion And entrust with political power the men who entertained it is beyond all comprehension maybe not all to Gentiles of Utah this story of Joseph Smith now remember that they call them Gentiles the rhetoric that you will find common between Mormonism and Judaism is unparalleled okay So, to Gentiles of Utah, this story of Joseph Smith's life and ways in Nauvoo, the patching of one revelation to make it in accord with another, the preying upon women, the financial dishonor, the treachery in politics, the means resorted to silence enemies, they have seen all this paralleled right here, and yet have seen the chief instrument in all the filth and wickedness worshipped as a god. If it was possible here, was it not in Nauvoo? It seems to us there is no remedy for the hallucination except to strike all power from this creed and all men who believe it, and then compel the children to attend school and to study mathematics and the other exact sciences until their eyes shall be opened. The The reference to the wife of Joseph Smith clears up much which has always been obscure. A vicious woman is more vicious than a vicious man. If she knew that another man had to make good the sums belonging to others that her husband had spent and felt neither sorrow nor remorse, then she was bad, clear, through. If all Smith's property was in her name, then she was bad, clear, through. A man may secure his wife a homestead if, when rich, he puts all his property in her name. It means he has acquired this means dishonestly or is mediating a steal." And um, Weil goes into that uh, more at length in Mormon portraits, Joseph Smith, uh, actually. So. Their interview, and I am going to insert this. This uh, William, Wa- um, William Law, before he became uh, basically like Joseph's second, uh, which I guess would have had to have been next to Hiram. Um, he had plenty, plenty, plenty. Of opportunity, to see the character of Joseph Smith, his inner inner circle, Hiram, the others that hung close, the twelve, all of it. He had plenty of time before this change of heart, because he said that all of a sudden he had seen what uh, horrible. I you know I don't buy it. That's all I'm trying to say. I I don't buy it, so I guess we're going to have to take this whole interview with a great big old chunk of salt. Dr. Weil and William Law. A deeply interesting talk on old Nauvoo days, astounding revelations of darkness. Political chicanery, trickery, deceit and murder, licentiousness and fraud, drunkenness and avariciousness, robbing men of their money to make them submissive, An unprecedented interview. And if you think that subtitle was long, wait till you see the length of subtitles in his book, which I will probably leave out because they are so long. Anyways, Editor Tribune. In your issue of July 3rd, by your courtesy, we gave a copy each of three letters from William Law, once one of the heads of the Mormon Church, to Dr. W. Weil those letters spoke for themselves as from a truthful conscientious and intelligent man still suffering in his feelings from his former connection with the religious and political fraud Mormonism in the remarks accompanying the letters in your paper we stated that Dr. Weil had succeeded in obtaining an interview with the venerable Dr. Law a privilege never accorded to any interviewer before and we said that it would be furnished ere long for the information and study of your many readers. Which I gotta tell you, I find fascinating as well. Of course, keep in mind there there's various features to all of this we have to keep in mind. For one thing, Weil had been in the country for now, I believe at this point, a couple of years interviewing a lot of people. Now how that brings him to Law or the fact that Law wanted to interview him because Law had already read so I think by this point he had already done the interviews he had published the book Mormon Portraits specifically on Joseph Smith where he'd done many many interviews with personal people Law would have gotten that right away because it was not the Flintstones back then folks and he even mentions reading his work that he had published. Um, now I mean, can we infer certain connections being made and stuff? I mean, when somebody gets an exclusive and everything, we don't know for sure why. Um, But maybe we'll find out, eh? Now, uh, something kind of interesting um, about all this is that when I was looking up W. Weil or Wilhelm von (laughs) Weibenthal. Um, Really, the only uh, big objections I could find, the the arguments against the work that he produced by Mormons, the the only arguments I could find from Mormons, really, against Vimetal or W. Weil as he went by on his pen name, were really, they were all either just, uh, he's a liar or he's wrong or he, you know, it was nothing substantive uh, approaching uh, the subject matter. It was funny enough, the very same kind of rhetoric that we hear if anybody poses a very serious argument um, against organized uh, hegemonic tribal Jewry, against non-Jews or Zionism, uh, or the 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 dirty deeds of is not real. What's what is the response to that argument of substance? The response, anti-Semitism. Anti Semitism is not a response. Anti Semitism is not an argument. And so often I see this same thing done in Mormon publications, Mormon websites, and everything else. He's just anti Mormon. Well, you know what? That's again not an argument of substance concerning the substance of his real argument or material that he has produced. Anti uh, Semitic, anti Mormon. It's not an argument because, first off, there may be a very good reason why somebody may be against the tenets of a certain belief system or the actions of a certain people. So don't ever let somebody throw that one at you anti Semitic, anti Mormon, as if it's an argument. It is not an argument, it is an ad hominem, it is a logical fallacy. These people are masters of sophistry. And they've gotten everybody all up in arms and afraid because as soon as they throw out anti-Semitic, oh no, it's a logical fallacy. Throw that right back. It's a logical fallacy. You see that anywhere if you're discussing anything and that gets thrown out there, that is a logical fallacy. It is an ad hominem attack. You can't just call a name like that and think the argument has been one or even addressed it's not even addressed so that's the only arguments i've found against the work that he's done he's anti-mormon so hmm. so he says In perusing this interview, we are impressed with the goodness of heart, the honesty of purpose, the hatred of imposition, under guise of religion and politics, and the remorse of soul in being caught in the meshes of such a corrupt and deceitful class of religious adventurers and speculators, displayed by the good old man, and we see as well the innocent, unsuspicious and confiding gentleman and Christian, becoming a dupe in the system by the pretension and sophistical sophistical arguments of the delusion. Many fearful deeds and horrible acts were perpetrated in Nauvoo, of which he knew nothing. <laughs> Oh, sorry, and only whisperings and innuendos caught his ear of many of the dark plots and secrets, but when their trickery and treason became so bold and daring in his eyes with those of many other good men and women, were opened and they saw more and more that shocked their sensibilities, and they exposed the hypocrisy and schemes of the unholy priesthood. Like an honest man that had the courage of his convictions, he dared to beard the lions in their dens, dared to speak out and try to counteract the designs of the leaders. His statement of the false revelation on polygamy is interesting as showing how it was tinkered up afterwards to make it more plausible and also that as a poor innocent, Mr. Law thought that Joe Smith would repudiate the document and pronounce it false, but the dear Mrs. Law knew more of Joe's falsity, impure teachings, and practices than did the man, and she said at once that the false prophet would declare it was from God. The low cunning and deceit of Joe and Hiram Smith, par nobile fratrum, double exclamation point on the political question is well exposed by their dragging in the god to father their little schemes let the reader notice well how the brothers worked and deceived both political parties to their selfish end joe's nefarious ending of the presumption and double dealing is a study of itself that all those who sympathize with mormon politics under the mask of rights in quotes would do well to consider It is no better now and would be no better hereafter. Mormonism never learns or improves. It is well known that the heads and feet of Mormon church pose and pretend that they are Democrats. But, if both houses of Congress were largely Republican, the Mormons would be Republican, too, to gain an end, especially statehood. This is proved beyond contradiction to be true by the fact that both Apostle G, uh, George A. Smith and Apostle George Q. Cannon, representing the Church by Brigham's revelation, now they have Church in quotes, of course, by Brigham's revelation, were sent to the, uh, sent to and presented themselves as Republican delegates at the Great Republican Convention held a few years ago in Philadelphia. They were rejected, however, and the American Gentleman and Patriot Judge McKean with another were accepted and from the other fact that George Q. Cannon, as delegate from Utah, appeared upon the records of Congress as Democrat and as Republican in two different terms. <laughs> a legislators, Americans, be not deceived by the apostles or prophets of Mormonism, either in politics or religion. The testimony of Dr. Law is a fearful arrangement of Emma, Joe's wife, but it is in accordance with other facts well known to many here, and it ought to be a matter for the better class of Mormons, the Josephites, to reflect upon, false, false, all false, the words and testimony she gave. That's Emma. The ostracism that characterizes Mormonism here existed in Nauvoo. And ever will with its leaders, like Ishmael, quote, their hand is against every man, and every man's hand is against them. But we hope that this expose of the whole treasonable and deceitful. Theocratico-Politico government, which not only threatens our liberties here, but would sap the foundation of all just democratic government, will enable some of our Mormon neighbors and Gentile sympathizers to diagnose the disease that affects the body politic. But, I give it once the interview obtained by the intelligent, careful, and persistent Dr. Weil With the honest, truthful, and good hearted Dr. Law. Let our readers ponder it carefully, it is worth more than gold. Now, keep in mind, none of what you read here was W. Weil, okay? Uh, What I just read right there was the editor of the Tribune that this was published in, all right? Weil got the interview. with Law. And it was subsequently published in a Tribune independent of W. While, from what I understand. Okay? So all those glowing words about the character and the honesty of Law. And you have to remember, uh, I believe, I can say real quick here, so William Law, after this whole uh Nauvoo newspaper fiasco that led very, very quickly to Joseph and Hiram's demise uh, started uh, a sect of LDS called the True Church of, you know, that whole thing. Um, how long it was lived, don't know. This interview was done in <clears throat> Wisconsin and was uh, published in the Salt Lake, uh, what's it called? I'm sorry, the Daily Tribune, Salt Lake City, 31 July 1887. Now, it does seem to me, by what histories I have read, is that there have been, especially at this point in time, because the uh, Mormon Church was definitely going through some troubles and struggles around the 1880s, there had been constantly, for some time, I guess, uh, post-Young, or at least late in Young's time, Dissension sources around Utah and even Salt Lake City. Although to this day, Utah is most heavily populated by by Mormons. You're definitely going to be in a minority uh, there unless you're Mormon or Jewish. Um. So I don't know what to make of it. But I'll tell you what. With with that glowing introduction by the editor, not while, but the editor. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, you know, what do you think? I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think yet, but, you know, hopefully we'll get there. So, interview with William Law, March 30th, 1887. Dr. William Law lives with his son, Judge Tommy Law. Judge Tommy Law. The house is a fine cottage, large, well-kept grounds. Surrounded, we entered a cheerful-looking room, and there sat William Law, dressed in black, a most venerable-looking figure. The head was a striking expression of intelligence. The large, clear eyes are of a remarkably deep steel blue. He writes so poetically I could just sing this. The general impression is that of a thinker of a benevolent and just man. He greeted me in a fatherly way. I expressed my joy at seeing, at last, so important a witness of a history to whose study I had devoted two years. I sat down near the venerable figure. I hesitated to put any question to him, but he made my task easy by saying, you speak in your book of Joseph Smith having sent Rockwell to kill Governor Boggs. Let me tell you that Joe Smith told me the fact himself. The words were substantially like this, quote, I sent Rockwell to kill Boggs, but he missed him. It was a failure. He wounded him instead of sending him to hell, unquote. This beginning gave me some courage and I began the Pumping business in a cautious way, though that I might not frighten my subject. I had put down on my notebook a score of questions or so, so I glanced over them now and then stealthily, and ventured this or that question waiting till the good doctor would get warm in the recollections of the past. This happened soon, and then I could ask with more liberty.: Quote, "What position had Rockwell in Joseph's house? Dr. Law. Rockwell was the lackey of the house. He used to comb and shave Joseph, blackened his boots, and drove his carriage. He would have done anything Joe wanted him to do. I never saw a horse or carriage belonging to Rockwell which you say he got from Joseph for the attempt to kill Boggs. The reader will easily understand that I had particular reasons to ask about the expositor, William Law being the only surviving publisher and editor of that celebrated sheet, born and killed on June 7th, 1844. So, I began. I suppose that you originated the expositor, Dr. Law? Dr. Law? Yes, I originated the idea to publish that paper. I had friends in many parts of the country. They knew... No kidding. They knew that I had become a member of the Mormon religion, and I wanted to show them, by publishing the paper, that I had not been a fraud willingly. Here the old man's eyes filled with tears, and his voice trembled. (laughs) I started the idea, and, and my brother Wilson stood to me like a brother should. I don't remember whether it was I or not who gave the name Expositor. But I and my brother, we gave the money about two thousand dollars. I gave the biggest part the Higbys, etc, had scarcely a dollar in it. so you were well off at that time, Dr Law. We had property to the amount of about thirty thousand dollars, which was a good deal in those days. <laughs> good good deal in these days. Are you kidding me. 30,000, we had property amount of 30000 that guy had money, and he put up two grand to start this expositor. Did he put up two grand, folks? Did he put up two grand, or was he the the hands through which that 2,000 passed to do this? We had property in the amount about $30,000, which was a good deal in those days. We had farms in Nauvoo, city lots, and our residences. My brother had a fine brick two-story building. By starting the expositor, we lost nearly everything. (laughs) Okay, while. Didn't you have a store and a mill? Law. Yes, we had a large steam flour and sawmill and a store. It would have been the smart thing to do to remain quiet sell our property without noise for what we could get and move away. That would have been smart, but I wasn't cool and smart then. I wanted to do my duty and nothing else, and I didn't care for the consequences, not a bit. Many friends advised me to be smart and remain quiet, but I would not hear of it and spoke my mind whenever an opportunity offered. When the Smiths saw that we were against them, then they applied to us their usual system, that is, to freeze us out. Secret orders went out that nobody could buy property without the permission of Joseph Smith, Hiram, or the authorities, as they called them. So our property was practically worthless. Yes, my brother Wilson stood to me like a man, fully, fearlessly. He died, here in Shullsburg of a stroke of apoplexy. After an illness of three days, ten years ago, he was a very fine and tremendously strong man. He wrestled with Joe and Navoo and threw him on his back. William Weil, or Wilhelm Weil, how did you become a Mormon doctor? Law. John Taylor and, uh, Allman W. Babbitt came as missionaries to Canada and preached where I lived, 25 miles south of Toronto. I believe that Taylor was sincere then, and I believe he was to a late day. Finally, the greed of power and money killed his conscience. There was, now and then, a good man in Mormondom, for instance, William Marks, he was a very good man, and knew as little of the secret crimes of the leaders as I knew myself. (laughs) Sorry. You know, you guys, you know I can't do this without just calling bull. Okay, so Weill asks, The letters you wrote me made me suppose that the smiths tried to kill you when they saw an enemy in you. And Law responds, They tried to get rid of me in different ways. One was by poisoning. I was already out of the church when Hiram called one day and invited me for the next day to a reconciliation dinner, as he called it, to the house. He said Joseph would come too. He invited me and my wife. He was very urgent about the matter, but I declined the invitation. Now I must tell you that I, in those dangerous days, did not neglect to look out somewhat for the safety of my person and that I kept a detective or two among those who were in the confidence of the Smiths. That very same evening of the day on which Hiram had been to my house inviting me, my detective told me that they had conceived the plan to poison me at the reconciliation dinner. Their object was a double one. My going to the dinner would have shown to the people that I was reconciled, and my death would have freed them of an enemy. You may imagine that I didn't regret having declined that amiable, amiable invitation. Uh, now, folks, I got to interject here. <laughs> he's got, this guy—he says he's—he's he's got spies. Listen to this now, okay? And and let's just think about how powerful uh, they say Smith was, and and you know that that he had over his affairs and everything. So this guy is trying to say this law. Who had only got to be like second counselor to him a couple years prior to what he's saying is going on, and had only been with them since about the end of the Kirkland days, I guess, 1836. Now he has been able to somehow slip in detectives close enough to Joseph and Hiram as if they could hear them whisper to one another that they had a plan to poison him. Now, folks, is it more likely that Law had his own? people detecting what Joe Hiram and others were doing in relationship to him and whoever else or was it more likely that the organization behind everything had people advising law on how he should proceed in doing what he was doing to cause the demise of Joseph and Hiram Smith I'm just asking which one seems more likely so then while goes on Have you had any knowledge of cases of poisoning in Nauvoo ordered by the authorities? Law I know that several men, six or seven, died under very suspicious circumstances. Among them were two secretaries of the prophet, Mulholland and Blaskell Thompson. I saw Mulholland die and the symptoms looked very suspicious to me. Dr. Foster, who was a very good physician, believed firmly that those six or seven men had been poisoned, and told me so, repeatedly, when, before or after he decided to start the expositor. I guess that would be my question. So while, what may have been the reason for poisoning the secretaries? And he says, Law says with a smile, they knew too much, probably. And while, what do you know about the Danites? Law. Nothing of my personal knowledge. (laughs) He was second to Smith, and nothing of my personal knowledge. He had spies that were telling him what Joseph and Hiram were conspiring, but nothing to his personal knowledge. He says, Nothing of my personal knowledge. They existed, but their workings were kept very secret. (laughs) I never belonged to the initiated. Smith tried very hard to get them to kill me. One day my detective told me that two Danites had gone to Joseph and told him that they wanted to put me out of the way. Joseph said, don't he, meaning law, is too influential. His death would bring the country down upon us. Wait. Later, when I was thoroughly aware of my danger, they tried in all manners to use me up and had the Danites all day and night after me, but I looked out and I kept myself safe. Whatever, whenever there was a crime in Nauvoo, it was kept secret. On the outside, everything looked nice and smooth. There were lots of strangers every Sunday as visitors, and then the best speakers were put out on the stand as samples of the fruits of this fine religion. And, man, that <clears throat> that statement right there sounds like a crock to me. <clears throat> How he could just, I don't know much about them Danites. Yeah, God, I had spies warning me that Joe and Hiram were going to poison me, but I couldn't figure out anything about them Danites. After me day and night. Folks, I have read enough on these Danites, and uh, sometimes they call them destroying angels, and, um, yeah, I don't buy what he said there, Okay. Anyways, uh, Weil asks, did Emma, the elect lady, come to your house and complain about Joseph? Law, Nope, she never came to my house for that purpose, but I met her sometimes on the street and then she used to complain, especially because of the girls who Joseph kept in the house, devoting his attention to them. You have overrated her. She was dishonest. Weill. Do you mean to say that she was so outside of the influence Joseph had over her? Law. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Let me tell you a case that will be full proof to you. Soon after I arrived in Nauvoo, the two Lawrence girls came to the Holy City. Two very young girls, 15 to 17 years of age. They had been converted in Canada, where orphans and, and worth about eight thousand dollars in English gold. Oh, they were orphans and were worth eight thousand English gold. Joseph got to be appointed their guardian, probably with the help of Doctor Bennett. Now everybody remembers Doctor Bennett from that Owens paper. Doctor Bennett, uh, very Freemasonic, very high Freemasonic. They said he was dismissed because his sexual proclivities were too much for a nonsense story. That Dr. Bennett, probably with the help of Dr. Bennett, he naturally put the gold in his pocket and had the girls sealed to him. He asked me to go on his bond as a guardian, as Sidney Rigdon had done. Quote, it's only a formality, he said, foolishly enough, and not yet suspecting anything. I put my name on the paper. He didn't suspect a thing. Emma, <laughs> Emma complained about Joseph's living with the Lawrence girls, but not very violently. It's my conviction that she was his full accomplice, that she was not a bit better than he. When I saw how things went, I should have taken steps to be released from that bond, but I never thought of it. After Joseph's death, A.W. Babbitt became guardian of the two girls. He asked Emma for a settlement about the $8,000. Emma said she had nothing to do with her husband's debts. Now Babbitt asked for the books, and she gave them to him. Babbitt found that Joseph had counted an expense of about $3,000 for board and clothing of the girls, Now Babbitt wanted the five thousand dollars that was to be paid Babbitt, who was a straight good honest sincere man, set about to find out property to pay the five thousand dollars with. He could find none. Two splendid farms near Nauvoo a big brick house worth from three to four thousand dollars, the hotel kept by Joe, a mass of vacant town lots, All were in Emma's name, not transferred later, but transferred from the beginning. She always looked out for her part. When I saw how things stood, I wrote to Babbitt to take hold of all the property left by me in Nauvoo, and of all claims held by me again in people in Nauvoo, and so the debt was paid by me. Emma didn't pay a cent. What a pious, wonderful, righteous man we are hearing from today, folks. (laughs) While goes on, we had chatted about an hour when Dr. Law said that he felt a little tired. I kept silent for a few minutes. The old gentleman rallied very soon and began to speak without being questioned. Now this interview uh, continues on for a good amount. So this is where is a good spot for a break and I'll pick up this interview in the next one um, and I'm going to tell you a couple things already that I'm thinking. This of course was published by this Tribune in Salt Lake City, Utah Okay. Um, I got a good idea of who ran that paper and uh, I don't specifically mean the Mormons, that's for sure um, law would have been considered no friend uh, of the Mormons, and um, I believe that from what I've read from Wiles' book, that first book, that he vetted his witnesses that he used in that book pretty good. You can see it throughout from a number of different sources and that Law knew that, and he knew that the witnesses that Weil was using were well-vouched for, well-vetted, and that he basically, for that book, had interviewed nothing but people who he had gotten good reports on that they were honest, and were going to be honest. That's what I got from reading the book, okay? Um, Well, we'll see, but that's what I picked up on. So, Law, knowing that by that time the book being published, he would have had, while, a reputation for interviewing all of those witnesses that were well vouched for, well vetted, and of good report. And I think that's why he wanted while to interview him. And it was published back in that newspaper. Which I don't think Mormons, of course, owned or ran. Someone else did. So, with those thoughts, that's where I'm going to wrap up this one. And um, I'll see you guys again soon. As I said, with uh, all the areas of study that I've... Uh, been in, and they're some of them pretty, pretty amazing. They're, they're varied, varied from this. I've got a, a few different lines here. One of them being the language. I caught on to uh, a work published about 50 years ago concerning the language work that I do, which is unbelievably valuable. Um, and, and a few other things. So, um, I'm trying to schedule things so that I can produce uh, a couple of. Basically, they're going to turn into um, audios for podcast, and then videos for whatever platform that I don't get deplatformed from. So, uh, till next time, everybody, take care.